Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you've seen the light? And if you don't know what I'm talking about and you're here, hopefully by the end of the service, you will know what we're talking about when we're saying, I saw the light. I know my life was in a pretty dark condition before I saw the light. How many uh, are glad you saw the light? Okay, two of you are glad you saw the light. Okay, how about, how many are glad you saw the light? And actually, his name happens to be Jesus. Amen? Jesus is our light. Well, we're continuing on with our sermon series on the book of Job. And if you've ever read the book of Job, you might say it's a book of despair. Let me say it starts out that way. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, it's definitely a book of despair. But by the end of the story, it's what? It's a book of hope. Today, we've titled this message, Getting Past the Works Trap. Getting Past the works trap. Do you know there's a very real trap out here in the world we live in, especially, let's say, the church world we live in, that's a trap. It's a works trap, thinking you can earn your way to God, thinking you can earn favor with God. But let me just get a little personal with you this morning. How many of you, before you started regularly attending Victory Church, were what I would call CEOs? Okay, you know, you're confused. Christmas, Easter only attenders. <laughs> Christmas, Easter only attenders. Maybe we call you Christers. You only show up at Christmas and Easter time. Amen? You might consider yourself the unchurched. Some of you might say, wait a minute, Pastor. I'm not the unchurched. I'm the dechurched. I'm disattached from church. I used to go to church, used to be involved in a Bible study, a youth group, a singles group, a singles again group. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I walked away from church. Let me just stop here and put a plug in for the church. It's not always the church's fault when people walk away from the church, okay? Sometimes people make a choice that regardless of what the church says, doctrine says, the Bible says, I'm going to go out there and live however I want to live my life. I'm going to go out there and do my own thing, live my own lifestyle, and they basically get tired of coming into a church service where I preach a sermon on how God's not so uh, happy with that lifestyle. Anyway, they quit. They give up, and they quit coming to church. But I will say this. Some people have stopped going to church because the church wounded them. Some people have stopped going to church because the church or the church people hurt them or confused them. And they were de-churched. De-church, separated, detached from church. But let's just say many of you came back to church and you came back to victory and you got reattached. Amen? Praise God for that. But I, growing up in the background, I grew up and knew there's a lot of confusion. I know there's a lot of confusion in the church world. I grew up in a church background where it was a sin. It wasn't only frowned upon. It was forbidden for women to cut their hair to wear slacks or wear makeup, and it was forbidden for us guys to ever date those girls that did. Amen? <laughs> we weren't supposed to listen to rock music. We weren't supposed to watch TV or movies because that would expose us to way too much of the world. But here's the thing that was very confusing to me. Many of the deacons and elders in the church had a TV set in their own home, but when church friends would come over, they'd put it in a closet kind of hide it away. You talk about confusing, especially when you're a young Christian. Not only confusing, let's just say it was crazy. 
And some of the deacons and men in the church actually had wandering eyes looking at those women that did, did cut their hair, wore slacks, and wore makeup. That's a little bit confusing. And some of the women in the church had their hair piled up to here because they didn't cut their hair. But they could sure cut you with their tongues. Amen? They could cut you with their gossiping, their gossiping tongues. I'm only saying this because it was so confusing. It was frustrating. It was confusing because the deacons and elders and the leaders of the church didn't even comply with their own rules, didn't even comply or follow their own doctrines. I'll never forget this one time where this one young guy came into a church service. God had done an incredible thing in his life. Before he met Jesus and gave his heart to Christ, he was out there living with all of his heart for the world. I mean, he was in the drug scene, the alcohol scene, the immoral scene. He was putting everything he had into that scene, and God got a hold of his life, turned his life around, and one Sunday night we were having testimony service. And this young guy gets up, and he starts telling about the amazing goodness of God. Let's just say he brought the house down. I mean, he brought the thunder down. It was amazing. He was just speaking from his heart what God had done, and God was getting all the glory. And after he was finished, believe it or not, three or four deacons cornered him, and rebuked him, all because he was wearing a baseball cap when he gave his testimony. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, where is that? And they might even argue and say, that's in the Bible. It's aggravating because they have no clue what the Apostle Paul was really talking about when he was talking about wearing a head covering. And I guarantee you, he wasn't talking about that young man that had had his heart changed, his life changed, wearing a baseball cap while he was giving his testimony and giving God glory. That guy quit church that night, and as far as I know, he never went back. And I thought, look at the destruction. You know what that destruction came from? This thing... I started to say little thing, but it's a big thing in the church called legalism. Legalism in the church. I found out in the church there are a whole lot more rule followers than there are Christ followers sometimes. When we meet Christ, we're actually called to follow Him, right? We'd agree on that. We're called to pursue Him. We're called to seek Him. Not a bunch of ridiculous rules. I'll just put it that way. Put it as politely as I can. Job 42 verse 12 talks about the main scripture we've been looking at through this whole sermon series. Job 42.12 says, And the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first part. The Lord blessed the latter half of Job's life more than the first. So in this series, we've been talking about how to be blessed. We've been talking about how God wants to bless our walk with Him. And today is one of the biggest ways I think you can get past uh, the downside of things and get on the right side of things is getting past the works trap. Getting past the works trap, I've got some questions that I want you to ask yourself today, but before I get into that, I just want to make sure we're all tracking, that we're all on the same page. I want to talk about legalism, what legalism is. You know, when we meet Christ, we're called to follow Him, right? We agree on that. We're called to follow Him, we're called to pursue Him, we're called to live holy lives. We're called to actually pursue Jesus, and the Word of God is very clear on a lot of things. And when it comes to the Word of God being clear on certain things, that's not legalism. That's pursuing Jesus Christ. That's pursuing the truth. For example, I've said it before, if you're having sex outside of marriage, that's wrong. And if somebody's here and you say, well, Pastor, you're being way too legalistic, I'm not. Because that's biblical. There are a lot of scriptures in the Bible that back that up. After you're married, after you're married go for it. I mean... <laughs> 
I mean, I think that's in the Song of Solomon somewhere. But anyway, you need to abide by the rules. What I'm saying and trying to make a point is that's not being legalistic. That's pursuing truth. That's pursuing the Word of God, the truth. When I grew up, I couldn't even say the word darn, okay? My mom and dad were against me saying the word darn because it sounded way too close to the other D word. And I definitely didn't say gosh darn or mom and dad would have beat me to a pulp, amen? (laughs) I not only couldn't say darn, they put darn in the same category uh, with the other D word. And I'm kind of thankful for that, really. But the problem is that's not in the Bible. So you teenagers that are hearing me say this, don't get out. If your mom and dad have told you not to say darn or even worse, don't get out in the car and say, well, I guess the pastor's right. I can say darn, 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 darn. Don't do that. Because number one, your parents said not to. Number two, remember the scripture, honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that your life, that you will have a long life upon this earth translation is there they brought you into this world they can take you out amen (laughs) legalism is us putting rules on top of rules on top of rules on top of more rules legalism is also the mindset that says hey if you've got problems in your life it's because you've got sin in your life legalism is when you've got something bad happening in your life it's because you've got something wrong in your life Legalism says you've got to dot more I's, cross more T's, follow more rules, because you're just not following Jesus close enough. That's legalism. That's legalism. Go to Job first, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. It gives us a description of who Job is. It says, In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Don't raise your hand on this one, but how many of us would fit that description? I'll answer it for us. None of us. Job was such a godly man that God even had a conversation with Satan concerning Job when God says, have you considered my servant Job? What God was basically saying is this Job guy, Satan, is actually knocking it out of the park. And I'm just thinking Job must have had it together with God. Must have been blameless and upright for God to be bragging on Job like that. But we find God allowed in chapter 2 for Job's whole life to fall apart. All ten of his children are killed. He loses his health. He loses his wealth. All of his livestock are, ki- are killed. His marriage falls apart. Then the worst thing that could happen happens in chapter 3. Three of his church friends show up and try to tell him what to do. <laughs> Think about that. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Friends are awesome. They really are, especially when they are pursuing Christ and they're encouraging you to pursue Christ and go after Christ with all of your heart. But the friends that came to speak with Job and give him advice, not so much. I want to read you some of the words they say, and some of you might hear their words and you might say, well, gosh, those guys were right on track. Man, it sounds like they were leaders in the church. Well, listen to the first guy in Job chapter 4, verse 6. He said, Job, should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? Consider now who being innocent has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? In other words, this so-called friend is saying, hey, Job, you've got some sin in your life. You're not exactly blameless and upright. There's something that's going wrong in your life. And you obviously don't love God as much as I do. I think you need to dot more I's, cross more T's. Job chapter 5, verse 6, he continues on. For hardship does not spring from the soil. In other words, he's saying, Job, bad things don't just happen to good people. 
which we know is a lie. Amen? Nor does trouble sprout from the ground, and yet man is born into trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. He's saying, Job, this just didn't happen to you. All that's gone wrong in your life, how your life has fallen apart, happened because you've got sin in your life. At this point, I'm just thinking maybe how Job would be thinking. I'm thinking, I'm knocking these guys' lights out. I'm th- I mean, wait a second. You know that sounds harsh, but think what he has just been through. He didn't just lose a child. He lost ten, all ten of his children all at once. He lost all of his livestock. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. His marriage is falling apart. You think this friend would consider that? No. He goes on in Job chapter 8, verse 4. When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. In other words, he's saying, God killed your children, Job, because of their sinfulness. Okay. Now I'm really taking you out because you are attacking my family. What kind of friend does that? But that's what legalism does. Legalism points its bony finger of condemnation. Legalism finds fault sometimes where not, there's not fault. Legalism says you're not doing enough, you're not working hard enough. And then he goes on in verse 5. If you would look to God and plead with the Almighty, think about what Job 1.1 said. Think about it, how it called Job blameless and upright. I'm thinking he's already looking to God. But legalism, at its core, says do more. You might be doing something, but do more. Try harder. You might be trying, but try harder. Religion says God loves you if. Christianity says God loves you, period. End of story. Amen? So here are a few questions I want you to actually ask yourself when it comes to legalism. Number one, if you're taking notes, do I find it hard to believe that Jesus loves me? Are you sitting here today finding it hard to believe that this God of the universe can actually love you. In fact, some people, I don't find it, I don't think they find it hard at all to believe that Jesus loves them because they're into rule following instead of Christ following. They're into thoughts like, Jesus, I know, loves me because I don't go to R-rated movies. Jesus loves me uh, because I've never touched alcohol or, or drugs. Jesus loves me because I only listen to Christian music. My question is, do you deep down really wonder if Jesus loves you? I'll be honest, there are people in our lives that are just hard to love. And don't dare point right now, amen? <laughs> there, are hard pe- there are hard people to love in this world. One of my pet peeves and somebody that's kind of hard to love is that guy going down the highway in front of you for 15 miles with his turn signal on, amen, that never turns. Another person's hard to love is the person going down the interstate, and they're in the slow lane, and you're wanting to speed and go past them, get to your destination, and they're just pedaling along. Another person are close talkers. How many get a little bit aggravated at close talkers? They might start out five feet away, but before you know it, they're on your toes and you're bending backwards. Or how about the person that asks you to go to to a movie with them and you want to enjoy the movie and all they want to do is talk and gab? There's just some people out there that are hard to love, but the big question today I want to ask is for some reason, do you have a hard time believing that Jesus could really love you. Think about that. I know some of you are probably dealing with that right now. Maybe you're convinced that if everyone around you knew you and about you, they wouldn't love you. And all that you've done, they wouldn't love you. In fact, what if I carried a movie camera around for a year and secretly videotaped your life, and then one day I came up to you and said, hey, I want to show the highlights of your life. 
you probably wouldn't smile real big and say, let's roll the tape. You'd probably be running away as fast as you could, amen? But there are people that can fake it. There are people all around us all the time that can fake it, pretend that they've got it all together. I mean, not a hair out of place. They're in their Sunday best. Everything on the outside looks perfect, but if you look on the inside, their life's a wreck. How many know you can fake it with people, but you can't fake it with God? You can fake it with people all day long, but you can't fake it with God because not only does He know what we're doing, He knows why we're doing it. He knows the motives behind why we're doing it. He knows our hearts. He knows everything about us that nobody else knows. And guess what? He loves us anyway. He loves us anyway. That is an amazing God. I know Cheryl's brother, Chris, who lives out in Texas. Before him and his wife started a family, um, he wasn't a kid person. He didn't want to ever have kids. His dogs were his kids. So when Maritza got pregnant, he got very nervous. He thought, how am I going to love this child that I don't really even get excited about? We were worried about it. Maritza was worried about it because Chris was so detached. He never got excited about it, didn't want to talk about it. But he said the moment Chloe, their little girl, was born, in that split second, all of a sudden, big Chris, 6'5", 2-whatever, Broke down and sobbed with love, not because Chloe was so beautiful, she was, but because she was his. She belonged to him. That made all the difference. Let me ask you parents this morning, what did your child do in the first year of their life to earn your love? What did your child do in the first year of their life to earn your love? Nothing. They interrupted your sleep. They interrupted your eating habits. And if you're a parent, you've been pooped on. You've been peed on. You've been vomited on. They do nothing to deserve our love, but we don't, we don't love them because of their performance. We love them because of their position as our child. You know, you can't make God love you any more than he does right now, and he'll never love you any less than he does right now. I don't care who you are, what you've done, where you're at. He loves you, period. God doesn't love you and me based on our performance, okay? He loved, uh, loves us based upon our position as His children. That's what God loves. We belong to Him. And I believe when you'll get that deep down in your spirit, deep down in your heart, you go out of these doors and you'll want to live for Him with every breath that you take. You'll want to go out and do everything you can under the sun to please Him. Because you've never met a God like that. Because you've never felt a love like that that can only come from that kind of a heavenly father. God didn't save us, you and me, to perform well before him. He saved us because of his amazing grace. He saved us because of his amazing love. And he saved us because we belong to him. Amen. Paul says in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. And Paul's talking to the church right here. He says at one time, and I love Paul's humility. He says, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived with malice and envy because of being hated and hating one another. That's the Apostle Paul admitting that I once was that way. Verse 4, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. He didn't save us because we were that good, okay? He saved us because He's that good. Amen? 
He didn't save us because of our performance. He saved us because of his love and his goodness. You know, people you run into every day say, well, I'm a good person. I don't do this or I don't do that. But what they've done is they've made their walk with Christ something other than what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Let me ask you a big question here. What do you think you and I as human beings could ever do to impress God? Do you think there's anything? Is there anything that you and I could do as human beings to impress, impress the God that, that holds the universe in his hands? No. And he never designed us to do that. He loves us because we are his. He loves us because we belong to him. The second question, if you're still taking notes, when it comes to legalism in your life, is do I always feel like I'm disappointing Jesus? Let me just say, if you come from a church background, a legalistic, I'll quote, background, you probably feel like you're disappointing Jesus every day. You probably feel like you can't even make Jesus happy. I'd say in the natural world, all of us deal with, dep uh, with disappointment every day. Maybe in your marriage, maybe in your relationships, maybe on your job, maybe at school. Maybe in yourself, maybe in your favorite sports team. Maybe your team was down by two points and all they had to do was hit a last-minute field goal and the kicker missed it. You're disappointed. Disappointment's an everyday thing with every one of us. We're constantly being disappointed by something or someone. But you know what disappointment is? We're disappointed because we expected something to happen that didn't happen. We expected A to happen and instead B happened, and because B happened instead of A, we get disappointed. Well, here's the thing about our God. Do you realize he's not disappointed with you? Because he lives way outside of time. He lives way outside of time. Not only does he know everything you've done, he knows everything that you're going to do. Amen? And here's the amazing thing about his grace. Not only does he know our past when he saves us, he actually knows every stupid, uh, foolish, sinful decision we're going to make in our future, and he loves you anyway. He loves us anyway. He saves us anyway. God has never looked at any of us and said, I can't believe he did that. No, he already knew it before we did it. And if you ever want to feel better about yourself, there's one character in the Bible that I like to read about. It's Simon Peter. Simon's always making me feel better about myself because of the crazy things Peter does. Matthew 26, verse 31, Jesus told his disciples, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written. He says, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. He's saying, you all are going to deny me. You all are going to run away. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be resurrected. And when I get resurrected, I'm going to go all the way to Galilee and I'll meet you there. Everything's going to be good. Listen to Peter in verse 33. Then Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Listen to Jesus' response. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Let me ask you a question. Do you think when Jesus called Peter uh, to follow him, do you think he knew that down the road one day Peter was going to deny him? Do you think Jesus knew that? Of course he knew that. He called him anyway. And when Jesus confronted Peter, uh, he said, Peter, not only are you going to deny me, you're going to deny me three times, which Peter did. And the Bible says after Peter denied Christ, he was broken in spirit. If you get a chance on your own, read John chapter 21, because it's one of the most beautiful stories about Jesus reinstating Peter back into the ministry after he had denied Christ. 
If you know the story, Jesus is crucified in Jerusalem. He's resurrected. He makes a two-day track, a two-day journey to Galilee, all to pursue Peter. A big part of that was to pursue Peter. And when he sees Peter, he asks Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And Peter three times said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. I think that's the amazing grace of God that he undid Peter's sin. He gave him a chance to repent. Three denials, three I love yous. And after that, because of Peter's repentance, Jesus put him in charge of the church. He put him in charge of Christianity. After that, Jesus says, I'm going to turn a lot of this over to you, Peter. Go for it. Aren't you glad that Jesus, Jesus didn't deny Peter because he denied him? Aren't you glad he didn't give up on Peter? Well, it's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. It's the same Jesus that lives today. And I don't care who you are, what you've done. Jesus is not going to give up on you. Do you believe that this morning? Jesus will never give up on you. Yes, hallelujah. No matter what you've done, said, if you repent, walk away from your sin, He created you to be a success. He created you to be a game winner. Because you've never disappointed Jesus in the bigger picture. Because He already knew it before you did it. Loved you anyway. The third question, if you're still taking notes about legalism is, does it seem like Jesus is a hard man? That always makes me work harder. Maybe you have that impression of Jesus. The truth is, have you realized that you don't ever have to really tell somebody that's hurt that they're hurt? I mean, it would be crazy for me to go to my neighbor and say, hey, I saw you out mowing your yard this morning. I don't know if you realize it or not, but you cut your foot off while you're mowing. I can't imagine my neighbor saying, well, well, thank you. I didn't realize that. No, that's not going to happen because they know when they're hurting. And today, if you're here and you've got some hurt in your life, I know one thing about your life. You're hurting, okay? We don't need somebody to just recognize that hurt and just call it hurt. We need somebody to recognize that hurt and do something about it. And the one that wants to do the most about it is Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Amen? It's Him that wants to reach out for our hurt. The message of Christ isn't do more. The message of Christ isn't try harder. That's the works trap I'm talking about. Thinking you can earn God's favor. Thinking you can work your way to God. Jesus called His disciples in Matthew 4, uh, 18 and 19. He called uh, uh, Peter and Andrew. Listen to what it says. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me. Three, I think, of some of the most powerful words in the Bible, Jesus said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. Jesus didn't say, okay, Peter, wait a second. You've got a cussing problem. Peter, you've got a swearing problem. You've got a temper problem. We need to send you to anger management classes and then you can follow me. He didn't say, hey, Andrew, I heard you, Andrew, I heard you have a tattoo. Uh, let's get that thing uh, scrubbed off. Uh, let me give you a sermon on tattoos, and then you can come and follow me. He didn't say, you boys been hanging out in the wrong places, doing the wrong things. He said, I'm, he didn't say, I'm going to go away for a month, and when I come back, if you don't have this all cleaned up, you won't be able to follow me. No. He called imperfect fishermen. They were a long way from perfect. 
He called them just like they were, but he said, if you'll follow me, I'll turn you into what you need to be. Amen? It's that simple. If you follow me, I'll make the changes, transformations in your life that need to be made. The truth is, it's not about what I'm doing. It's about who I'm becoming. It's not about who you are. It's who you are becoming. Amen? With God's help, who you're becoming. The question is not what rules are you following. The question is, are you following Jesus with all of your heart? And here's what I know about people that follow Jesus. The longer you follow him, and I mean genuinely follow him, the more you fall in love with him, the more you want to live for him, the more you want to do everything, and the more grateful you are in your heart for all that he's done for you, the more you become more like him. I don't know about you, but I want to become more like Jesus. Our world needs people that have a passion to become more like Jesus. You want to turn our political uh, uh, condition of our country around? Love Jesus more. Love your neighbor more. Start loving people more. It'll change everything if we'll just do that. You might say, well, how do you do that? Take your next step. You know, you might say, well, what's my next step? I believe some of you know the next step that God is already dealing with your hearts about. I believe you know it. Maybe you've been putting him off, but you know about it. But if you genuinely don't know, pray about it. Because God actually wants to reveal his will for your life, his plan for your life. And I believe if you'll take your next step, and even today, you're going to see a breakthrough in your life. If you are willing to be obedient and take the next step that God wants you to take, you're going to see a breakthrough in your life. Maybe it's getting baptized. Maybe it's accepting Him for the first time. Maybe it's surrendering your finances. Maybe it's forgiving someone, forgiving yourself, getting out of a bad dating relationship. Maybe it's asking for help. But if you'll take that next step, you can move on. But if you can't take or don't take or won't take that next step, you're stuck. You're not going anywhere. You're definitely not going where God wants you to go. Amen? Your relationship with Him isn't going to grow. Your intimacy with Christ is not going to get closer and deeper. So many times we say, well, God, I'm not ready to take that next step. Let me think about it a little bit longer. Let me pray about it a little bit longer. Let me read a word. Let me serve a little longer. The problem is, that's not what Jesus is asking us to do. Those things are great, but He's asking you this morning to take your next step. Whatever that step is, take that next step to get the breakthrough in your life. I think that's why people can be in church for 5, 10, 20 years, and they're still the same mean, bitter, selfish, self-centered people that they always were because they went to church, but they didn't follow Jesus. They were rule followers and not Christ followers. They got caught up in the works trap, maybe. Let me just tell you, Jesus doesn't want the mentality that I have to work for my salvation. I'm not making light of that, though. We have to be serious about our salvation. You have to take Jesus serious about everything. But don't lose your joy in the middle of it all. Amen? Follow Him with the joy of the Lord being your strength. In Matthew eleven twenty eight 28, verse 30, one of my favorite scriptures of all, and it's coming from the heart of Jesus, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and here comes the promise, and I'm going to give you rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, Jesus says, and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, that's the invitation that Jesus is giving every one of us. That's the invitation that Jesus is giving to this world, not try harder. Not do more, not try to earn your way, but come to me.
Just come to me. Find rest for your life. It's not about earning your way. You'll never earn your way. It's not about working harder. You'll never work hard enough. It's about loving Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And putting Him first in your life. Several years ago, I remember when my son Austin was just a little guy. We had a certain board game at home that once in a while when we got a chance, we would sit down, Cheryl and, and Austin and me would sit down and play the game. Well, one evening we had plans to have a family night, and it was about 6 o'clock, and Austin was all excited about family night. And all of a sudden the phone rings, and I get a ministry call that a family needed me, and I really had to go. And I looked at Austin, and I said, Austin, I'm so sorry. And I could see how upset he was. And I said, I've got to go do this. I'll try to hurry back, and I'll make it up to you. He said, Daddy, would you just come in and uh, kiss me goodnight when you come in? Well, the meeting went longer than I thought, like a lot of them do. And when I got home, Austin had been in bed for a while. He was already sound asleep. Well, I crept into his room real quiet, sat on the edge of his bed, pulled his covers up around his little neck. I bent over and gave him a kiss on the cheek. And I sat there and prayed for him. And then I slipped out of the room. The next morning, he came down to breakfast, and he said, Daddy, I'm mad at you. I said, for what? He said, you didn't come into my room and kiss me last night. I said, I did. I'm sorry I got home late, but I came into your room. I tucked you in. I prayed for you. I kissed you goodnight. Just because you weren't aware of me being there didn't mean I wasn't there. And in that thought, I thought, that's just like the God that we serve. If you're going through some of the toughest, hardest times in your life, just because you're not aware of God being there doesn't mean He's not there. Because I promise you, He's there. His Word says He'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll never walk away. Just because you cannot physically, tangibly feel Him doesn't mean He's there. He's with us. He's with us through every situation we're going through. He loves us. You don't have to work for it. You just have to receive it. Receive it and love Him back with all of your strength, with all your heart, with all your mind. It's not about working harder. It's not trying harder. It's not thinking you've got to be good enough. That's the works trap. It's about loving Him and trusting Him with everything. I'm going to ask you right now, will you commit to do that? To love Him more. When you leave this place, let that word you've just heard resonate in your heart that when you come up against hard times, you'll say, wait a minute, Pastor just said, I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret. I don't have to fear. I just have to love Him. I just have to rest in Him. If you'll do that, you'll see the breakthrough. That's your next step. You'll see the breakthrough in your life. So this morning, as you stand to your feet, I want you to physically and mentally make that commitment. Stand to your feet, if you would, please. Just make a commitment that these words, well, the Bible says God's Word will not fall and go uh, return void. It will accomplish what it's sent to do. I'm believing that Word today is sent to make you and I more dependent upon Jesus Christ, more in love with Jesus Christ, more in love with the people around us, to realize... It's not a works mentality. It's a relationship mentality. Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we stand before you. Maybe some in this church today have been caught up in the works trap thinking they've got to be good enough, try to earn their way, but Father, help them to realize you're not expecting that. You don't love them because of their performance. You love them because of their position with you. 
And if there's one that doesn't know you, Lord Jesus, I pray that right now they would just look towards you in their heart and say, Jesus, I open my heart. I invite you in to be Lord of my life. I need you to be Lord and Savior of my life. And believe it's that simple to begin a brand new walk with you. And if you prayed that prayer, I want you to come up afterwards and see me. Give you some more information. But Father God, I thank you for today's message that's right out of your word, Lord God, that you love us because we belong to you. Help us to have that front and center in our heart today and forever. Father God, help us to see our relationship with you for what it should be. Help us to realize it's not about earning your favor or your blessings. It's not about trying harder, working harder. It's about really surrendering everything over to you, loving you with everything we have. Father God, set us free from a works mentality, a works trap, and help us to walk in the freedom of your love today and forever. In Jesus' name, if you agree with that, say amen. amen. God bless. Can we give Jesus a hand clap of praise? Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love in this house. Hallelujah. Go and be blessed.